Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, you can probably already tell things are going to be a little different today. We have our nice, relaxed atmosphere with our stools, and I have my coffee, which doesn't really have coffee in it. It was just a prop. And uh, But we're kind of going to go through something today that I'm, I'm sort of excited about. I got my notes here to kind of keep me on track. Um, but I guess if you want to give today kind of a big idea, it would be the idea of God's faithfulness. And um, I'm sure if we would go around the room, uh, each of us would have a story that relates to God's faithfulness, either in our lives, maybe in the lives of our families, or a coworker, someone we know. We all we all have a story, and um, I think for those of us that you know follow Christ, you know we profess to be Christians. uh, There would be moment after moment after moment where we could just list and see God's faithfulness and His hand moving in our lives. Um, Today. Fortunately, we have Pastor Bud with us, as usual, but today we are going to hear his story, uh, or at least part of his story, I guess, um, from when he was a little bit younger. And uh, I've been in this church for 40 years plus now, and I don't think I've ever heard the entire story. I've heard little bits and pieces of this kind of testimony before. I even made this PowerPoint presentation 10 years ago, I think, it was going to be done, and it didn't happen, and so this has been 10 years in the making, folks. Strap in. Here we go. Um, it's something I know that he obviously talks about sometimes. Uh, he doesn't make a big deal of it because I know he doesn't like the attention, uh, but it really is a good example, a good demonstration of God's faithfulness in a life and how that can affect uh, your future. Um, so I know we've kind of worked on this a little bit. I'm sort of making this up on the fly as I go, too. Uh, so I guess let's go back. We'll start back in what I call the fabulous 50s. Um, and let's go back, kind of set the stage. So you can go wherever you want with this, but just give us an idea of maybe your early life, um, maybe how you came to know Christ a little bit, where you grew up, and just anything about yep. young Pastor Bud that we need to know. Sure. I think I'll go back to 1959. Uh, I was seven years old, and um, my father was uh, Catholic. Um, but was not a practicing one. And my mother, um, in the past, had been a German Lutheran. When they were married they were, and moved to the neighborhood we were in, they were looking for a church. They landed on the Fair Hill Presbyterian Church, which was, in our neighborhood, every corner had either a bar or a church, so you could go anywhere you wanted. Kind of <laughs> yeah, a lot like yeah. <laughs> Although, no, that's not exactly accurate in Ritman. But... Um, but anyhow, uh, we went to the Presbyterian Church. There was a couple there that probably were about 40 or so years old. I thought they were 100 and some. But uh, they, were, they lived outside the city. They came in uh, as they were considered missionaries to us in the city. And uh, he would teach our Sunday school class every week and presented the gospel every single week. And so in December of 1959 was when I finally just knew irresistibly that that 
I was a sinner that I needed Christ, and I knew that I definitely wanted to be in heaven someday. So uh, I felt very real about it at the time. I still believe that was very sincere. So I got saved December 1959. Okay. So now we're going to fast forward about a year yeah. after that salvation to fateful Sunday of December 4th, 1960. That's where this event that kind of had a pretty large impact mm -hmm. on your life, I would say, um, happened. And so tell us, I guess, a little bit about what happened that Sunday. Yeah, that Sunday, December 4th in 1960, was probably, it was a sunny and somewhat warm day, because I don't think any of us had anything more than a light jacket on. And um, normal day, went to Sunday school, went to church, came home, was eating lunch, and uh, some, a couple of my friends, four or five friends, were in the backyard uh, at my house. And you have to realize our backyard would have been a six foot by 12 foot space. And um, it happened to be Warren McWilliams's birthday. Warren, the McWilliams family and I were continue to be very, very close. And uh, I was like one of, I was their sixth son. And um, Warren was the oldest one. He was about three, four years older than I am. And it happened to be his birthday. And in Philadelphia at that era, we had this really neat tradition. I told my friends it was Warren's birthday. So we all held him down and every one of us gave him punches for every year of his birth date. And that was great until it got toward the end and I realized he's not gonna be happy with me. So I, uh, as they were letting him up, I ran out my gate and out to the street. And uh, when I hit the sidewalk, uh, there used to be, there was a company that you all know about. Uh, it was called Cross Brothers. It was a meat packaging company two blocks away. They used the uh, waxed paper that they wrapped meat in and that blew through the neighborhood continuously all the time. Um, the reason why you know about them is because if you've ever seen the Rocky movie, and Rocky's boxing this slab of meat. Well, that was Joe Frazier in our time. Uh, Joe worked at Cross Brothers, and so uh, that's what he did. So anyhow, I went running out, and I hit the uh, wax paper, and I slid into the street feet first. Uh, and in God's providence, uh, there was an automobile coming, which then uh, ran over me, uh, ran literally over my head, um, fortunately, the tires were flattened just enough that, you know, the injuries were what they were, serious, of course. But um, so that kind of was how the accident happened. So, um, so that was the accident. <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to uh, picture myself there. Mm. Uh, can't even imagine what that was like, what, you know, if there were people on the street or yeah. Mom and dad, you know, people mm -hmm. that came out and saw that and fear, panic, anger at the driver, you know, mm -hmm. which I don't know, but um, pretty much every emotion I guess, that, could, that could be possible. Um, so after that happened, obviously you went to the hospital or uh, transported or parent took you or something and, uh, you know, taking you in and all that. Just how, how, Do you remember anything about that time, what you were thinking, feeling, what others... Yeah. I don't know how, where you were. I, I remember a lot, but then some of this stuff was told to me by my parents, mostly. 
uh, after the fact as I was recovering. But um, so I was uh, on the street. The boys ran back in, told my parents. My dad came out, picked me up. We jumped into the car um, of the person who was driving. And uh, the interesting thing to me is that so much of what was going on there was sort of uh, reversed. I, I can still see it today. I can see me my dad holding me, but we were on the left side and the driver was on the right side. And my parents insisted later that that was not accurate. We weren't in England. Um, but in my mind, still today, I see it that way. And I remember uh, my dad going toward the uh, doors of the emergency room and a nurse is holding the door open as he, he ran in, uh, being put on a gurney, zipped down to an operating room eventually. And so I remember all that. Um, the doctor made the decision because of the uh, type of injuries I had, particularly head injuries, um, he didn't think that I would survive if they gave anesthetic. So they started to work on me without any, uh, any assistance. The one thing I remember with that, a couple of things, but one I remember clearly was they started at the top and worked their way down. And so they were replacing my nose because it was tore off and they were sewing it in. They packed it up with cotton strands and they were sewing it back on. And the doctor was like right here to me. And I thought he looked worried. Now remember I was an eight year old kid, very naive. I was not theologically smart in any sense, but, and I understand there's other ways of viewing life too, but I just looked at him and I told him don't worry, doctor, Jesus is helping me. That was pretty innocent and naive. It turned out to be true, um, but it was just um, an experience. Later on, as they were like setting bones and stuff, I learned a trick that when I was experiencing more pain than I wanted to, I just suggested that I had to go to potty and they put the bedpan under me and of course I couldn't go and then they'd explain to me we have to do this and eventually um, because it was really difficult for them to operate this way they brought someone in to hypnotize me so if you're ever around me please don't start counting down from a hundred down I don't know what that'll start do. Start clucking like a chicken. <laughs> yeah <or something>. that's <laughs> right <laughs> or a monkey or something yeah. but um, so they hypnotized me so they could finish setting all the bone and doing all that kind of stuff so okay so that's kind of the surgery component um let's go right after that uh talk about you know expectations they were giving you and your parents as far as recovery um maybe initially days after surgery weeks um maybe and then talk about how how long the time you were in the hospital going in and out and then at what point did you finally get home yeah um, they told my parents that they, that they needed to be prepared that I probably would not survive the night. I wouldn't make it through the night. Um, I have an older sister, so my parents, and I don't know if it was a hospital thing or just uh, details, but they went home uh, thinking that I would be gone when they come back in the morning. Uh, I do remember um, they put me, my, my hospital bed, uh, was I was laid in the bed and right at my head was the window that was the nurse's station 
And I can remember laying there and from time to time in the night, the nurse coming and peeking in and I'd look up at her and I think sometimes I even smiled, but they seemed to be more tearful than smiling. Um, finally, the next day came and <clears throat> my parents told me later that they said that he might make it. You know, the next couple of days are critical, he might make it, but you also need to realize he will never walk again. He'll never be able to walk. And his body, because of growth plates, will probably always be the size of an eight-year-old. And so um, that's what they were looking at uh, at that time. Um, I ended up, they put me in traction, which just meant they had you know my legs up in the air and, and weights on that, which was interesting, because I was in a ward with other kids and there was one kid that was a real, um, politely, he was a real jerk. And um, he kept coming over and pulling on my weights and dropping them and stuff. And, and um, one time I was able to get a hold of his hair and throw a couple punches. So we both got in trouble for that one. But um, so I was in traction for 12 days. Uh, so on December 16th, after 12 days of being there, they put me in a body cast, which went from my chest down to my toes, uh, although my right leg was, was free, but the whole left side was where all, most of the damage was. And so that was there. So I was in that body cast, and they, uh, I remember my dad borrowed um, a friend of his station wagon, and they loaded me in the back of the station wagon, there was all these blankets and pillows because it was December 16th, and rarely at that time in Philadelphia they had a major snowstorm. So as we were driving up Front Street from the hospital, I can remember seeing piles of snow on the side of the road, which I had never seen before. So that was kind of a unique thing. And then when I got home, um, people carried me in, and there was a hospital bed there in our living room. So I spent next period of time in that so. yeah that was gonna say let's I'm trying to imagine a kid you know that they don't even think is gonna leave the night you know obviously you've made it past that point and made your recovery for a few weeks a couple weeks now they've got you home um, I'm sure there were lots of ups and downs you know home health care is definitely not what it is today back yeah. then yeah. Um, so maybe let's talk about some of those ups and downs you know mentally physically yeah. maybe maybe even spiritually yeah, one of, one of the best things about being a kid and being in a hospital, if you're gonna do that, do it before Christmas because you get all kinds of benefits from that. And this was, you know, it was on the news. It was on the television stations. It was in the newspapers. Uh, people were sending gifts. And um, in fact, I even brought one of them that I got. Um, someone, I don't know who, sent me this. And uh, this came in handy, but this part really came in handy, the baseball side. And uh, I did that constantly. And I always had my favorite teams playing against my least favorite teams. And I did the complete charting the games and everything. And um, so that was a lot of fun. But we had gifts that were piled up to the ceiling. Uh, my favorite thing was a uh, friend around the corner, Nicholas Boulis, family owned a Greek pastry shop. And uh, I call it um, Greek apple pie. Uh, Ann makes it for me to this day. 
Uh, it's really awesome, believe me, it's great stuff. But anyhow, uh, I also thought recently about the fact that um, probably along with people sending gifts and things, there were probably people, even in a city, uh, of three million of my closest friends, there were probably some that were actually praying for me during that time, not knowing me at all, but the people who gave gifts didn't know me, so I assume there were some that were praying as well. So that progressed, and then about, so I was in the body cast for probably four to five months, and then uh, at the end of that, I was in a wheelchair, but at that point, then I had to go to the Will's Eye Hospital because I had a, uh, an infected tear duct that just kept running. So they had a, they, they removed my left eye and did some work in there and then put it back in. And um, the Will's Eye Hospital became a, a fun thing between me and Clyde Mayberry. And those of you who remember Clyde, because he ended up having to go to Will's Eye and so we compared notes and it's the world-class eye hospital. Um, but I was in a wheelchair probably for a month or two uh, I remember my next door neighbor, an elderly gentleman, Mr. Wilson, and yes, he thought I was Dennis the Menace. And uh, Mr. Wilson was in a wheelchair also, and when the weather was nice, we would go outside and race up and down Tioga Street. And he did that, he planned all that, which was brilliant on his part, because he understood you know, what a kid be going through. So he made things fun for me, which was really kind of cool. After that, I had to, um, probably May, I had to start learning how to walk on crutches, and that was scary. Uh, I didn't know how to do real well, but got pretty good at it. One day the doctor said, the next time you come back, because I was going back every week or two, and next time you come back, you need to be walking on one crutch. So just use one crutch. And I couldn't do it. I, I was too scared. I just would not do that came back to the doctor's office, he asked me, and I said, oh yeah, it's going fine. I'm not real good at it, but I'm, I'm okay. So he said, okay, so he had me walk down, about the length of this aisle, he had me walk down the hall, two crutches, and then when I turned around, he walked down, took one, walked back, and said, now come to me, and I couldn't do it. And so I got chewed out and, uh, and told next time, don't come back until you can do that better. So, so I did. Um, and then in um, the summer, I had to learn how to walk. And then uh, in the fall, we learned that uh, this is 61, fall of 1961, in the city of Philadelphia, they were doing um, an immunization. You probably have never heard of anything like that before, uh, but it was for polio. And back then, they had the little sugar cube that they would give you, and there was medicine in it. And everybody, I had to go because I was the right age to have to go get this. And it was um, posted all through the city. They had, and the doctor who was put in charge of that was the surgeon who operated on me at the hospital. So my dad looked up where he was gonna be that day, found out where he would be helping administer it. And so after my soccer game, in uniform, my dad took me there to go get my sugar cube. This is September, um, you know, 10 months after the accident. And I had just played in a game and went there. The doctor was so thrilled. He hugged me and was just so excited about it. It was pretty cool. So, yeah. I guess that's kind of the end of our yeah. interview portion. Um, 
you know, we're going to kind of transition into your sermon. You're going to talk about uh, Lamentations 3 a little bit today, but uh, I just want to say on everybody's behalf here, everybody watching online, thanks for sharing that story. Um, I know, like I said, all of us have some sort of story like that. Uh, maybe not medically, but it might be uh, spiritually, it might be family relationships, it could be drug addiction, it could be anything. Um, so just, just thank you for your openness, willing to talk about it. Um, why don't I pray for us? And we'll go from there. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we sing songs about it. We read scripture about it, Lord. And uh, we even live it out in daily life. And Lord, it just never ceases to be amazing how faithful you are. Lord, you are powerful. You are mighty. You are loving. You're merciful. And we just love you so much. Lord, thank you for... Uh, the faithfulness you've shown in the life of Pastor Bud, Lord, and uh, the lives of his family through this whole uh, accident scenario, Lord, and then down through the years, uh, months of recovery, years of recovery even, and to this day, Lord, of all the lives that have been touched through it. And I just pray that you would continue to teach us uh, about your faithfulness and uh, just speak through Bud this morning as he continues to share from your word. We honor you and praise your name. Thank you. And if you wanted to know about after effects of what kind of things have you had lingering since then, just the obviously mental problems that I have. But um, <clears throat> So there was one bad moment that I was going to mention earlier. Um, while I was in the wheelchair, um, one day I was eating lunch, and I know it was grilled cheese sandwich and tomato soup. And I had... They had it so that like I couldn't bend my leg still, so my leg was sitting out on the stand that comes off. You know, they raise it up on the wheelchair, and I leaned forward to get something, my drink or soup or whatever, and my leg moved and went off that little stand and fell down and bent. And the pain, I jumped up and threw over the table, and everything went flying. And my mother went after my sister because she thought she did something to me. And, um, and I remember basically passing out as a result of that. And, and then um, it was quite a long time later that I came back through, too. Um, so uh, the reason why we told the story now is because Friday, two days ago, was the 60th anniversary of that. So um, I thought about every 60 years, I ought to probably share something on that just to tell you about how good God was to us. So I want to take you to the book of Lamentations, and uh, particularly we're going to zero in on verse 27. That's the one. I, I know Mike Prenovich will tell you that my life's verse is Ephesians 4.32, and I love that verse, and I wish everybody would be kind and sensitive and forgiving to one another. But this is the verse I really claim, uh, as I learned through the years about uh, the passages of Lamentations, uh, this is a verse that's really meant a lot to me and really kind of um, explains to me life where it just says it's good for a man to bear the yoke when he is young. Um, and you're probably thinking, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, let me just tell you, God certainly is faithful. There's no doubt about that. And God wants us to be faithful to him as well. 
and there's no doubt about that. No matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, we're to be faithful. So in Lamentations is a book uh, about Jeremiah's cry to God on behalf of the nation of Israel. The word lamentation is a Greek word, and it literally means to cry aloud. And so this is Jeremiah crying out loud to God because of what's going on in Israel. Jeremiah had witnessed the Babylonians starve out the city, surrounded them, starved them out, crashed through their walls, plundered the town, the temple, the palace, everything else. Many of the buildings in Jerusalem were burned to the ground. Everything was left in ruin. And Jeremiah witnesses this. All the able-bodied citizens, anybody of any health or strength at all, were all deported to Babylon. And Jeremiah was left alone with this group of people who were dysfunctional or defeated or disinterested, just the, the lower of the low. And Jeremiah's there. And God had told Jeremiah, oh, by the way, you're going to proclaim my word to them, and they're not going to listen to you. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Wouldn't you love to have God tell you that? Chapter 3, by the way, there's five chapters in Lamentations. They're all kind of poetry. And chapter 3 is the statement about how discouraged uh, Jeremiah was just greatly discouraged and it talks about all the circumstances and then uh, it gives us some hope so I'm going to read two verses 19 20 and 21 to begin with here's Jeremiah just summarizing he says I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall and I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Today we're starting our Christmas series, and this isn't really a Christmas message, but it is for me because that's all tied into my psychic of what I think about, um, and just the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's recalling this. I'm gonna give you a little bit of an overview of the rest of this chapter. 22 to 24 talks about God's faithfulness and it's good. God's great faithfulness. Then uh, verse 25 is going to say that there's good to hope in God. I'm going to say amen to that. Then in verse 26, it says it's good to find salvation. And then in verse 27, it's good to endure. So verses 22 to 24 talks about God's faithfulness and his faithfulness to Jeremiah. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. W.W.W. Warren Wearsby once wrote this, no matter what our circumstances may be, okay, you got that? You have circumstances. No matter what our circumstances may be, we can trust God to be faithful. Then he reminds us that great is thy faithfulness isn't just a verse to quote or a song to sing. It's the glorious truth to believe and to act upon no matter how difficult the situation in life might be. 
God is faithful. In verse 25, he told us that it's good to hope in God. The Lord is good. And our hope in the Lord is valid. It's very important and it's real. That hope encompasses everything in this life and everything beyond this life. It's the hope of heaven and eternity as well as his being good to us today. Verse 26 tells us that salvation that God gives is good also. God does grant salvation. He does give eternal life. And in verse 26, it says, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And that's probably what you and I first think of is, oh yeah, we, we want the Lord to save us. We, we're at peace, we're waiting for him uh, to rescue us. But it's also for them in the book of Lamentations, for Jeremiah and the people of Israel, they're waiting for the Messiah of the salvation to be revealed. And he has been, we know him. We know the Messiah. We know it's Jesus, the Christ, the one who's been given to us to save us from our sins. And we know that the salvation comes from him and that the Lord has it for us. So verse 27 tells us that we can stand on the past, that God is real. So it said to us that it's good for us to bear the yoke in our youth. So we have to ask the question, what is a yoke? Well, there's a picture of one, and that's pretty typical of what you would see. It's, you know, a harness with a couple uh, ropes for attachment. Here's how it applies to an oxen. Um, they go around the neck, and it keeps the animals together. You can get them to work in tandem with each other, and it's really good. What does it mean for you and I to bear the yoke? Well, uh, first of all, a yoke is an implement of submission to authority. Those oxen were absolutely under control by whoever, they couldn't, animals generally don't work well together uh, independently. And in their case, they were tied together. They were under the submission of whoever was leading them. And another thing about a yoke is it's an implement that couples two together. You and I bear the yoke so that we can be coupled with our Lord. And so that we work in harmony with him under his authority, we're submissive to what the Lord does and has for us. So what are some of the purposes? Why is it good? How is it good that we have this yoke that comes upon us? Well, some of the purposes are that we are yoked in our lives, we have trials and, and tribulations, difficulties. Number one is to purify our faith. First Peter chapter one, six through nine tells us that it proves that our faith is genuine, that we really are trusting God. We, you know, when you get tested, that's when it proves how real it is. And as a result of that, as you see that your faith is genuine, it brings praise to God. James also said that it perfects our character. Uh, you remember that passage that it works perseverance for us, which eventually brings us to maturity spiritually and makes us complete as we go through difficulties. 
Paul wrote also that it protects us from sin. That's an interesting and a great passage you're familiar with. 2 Corinthians 12, um, he said that his great experience of going into heaven by a vision or however that happened, that it could have caused him to have other things like conceit. He could have puffed himself up pretty big, but God prevented that by sending a messenger from Satan, something that uh, afflicted him, a thorn in the flesh is what King James says, and that prevented him from becoming too proud of his own spiritual accomplishments. And his conclusion on that is that God's grace is what's sufficient for our needs. That's what we need for anything that we go through is, is God's grace. I think it's interesting in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul makes it clear that he had that vision, that experience, 14 years earlier. He waited 14 years to tell it. And probably some of the ones who were reading this or maybe who knew him best were saying to himself, we didn't know that. We didn't know about that. I waited 60 years, but that's okay. I'm not as important as Paul is. Jeremiah was able to know that God's great faithfulness was at work in his past and that he could trust God in the future. I don't know what Jeremiah went through when he was really young, but he went through stuff that taught him that God would be faithful to him. I went through stuff that taught me that God is real, that he is great, and that he is, can be faithful to us at all times. <clears throat> this section of scripture is one of the best for just declaring God's faithfulness and God's greatness. My conclusion in life was as I learned over the years, was that yes, God is great, and yes, God is faithful. But I want to stress to you today that my experiences are no more significant than anybody else's. We're, I'm not any more important than anybody else. You have experiences too, and you should be learning from those as well. There's some responses that we can give when trials come. You know, when difficulties come, and they all do, uh, our response are, could be varied. One way that people respond is they endure. They endure their trials. It's just get me through this. I'll, just whatever it takes, just get me through this. Another one is they can escape the trials, run and hide, maybe assume the fetal position. Uh, just leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with this. How about enlisting our trials, embracing them. And as a believer and follower in Christ, I think that means that I'm looking in the details to see where God is and, and how he's working. Long time ago, not 60 years ago, but 16 years ago, when I had a surgery up at the Cleveland Clinic, I wrote down uh, different things because I knew I wouldn't remember them and I don't remember any of them right now hardly but I remember writing down it was close to a hundred things that I thought that oh God was in that I saw how he did this uh, you should do that as well you should write down things and, and remember that it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young it's good to learn the faithfulness of our God and our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's good to learn to trust him 
It's good to look for the details of who God is in your life. Uh, it's very important that we learn through our experiences in life and see God's handiwork in it. That's what Jeremiah did. That's what you and I must do. Let's pray together. Lord, how I thank you for just your work in our lives. I'm not unique in that. As David pointed out, everyone here has a story of their own, and they can share how great you are as well. Maybe they're not as quite as dramatic, but uh, very significant because you are a part of it. And it all is there to point glory to you. Lord Jesus, as we celebrate this month that you're coming to earth, and loving us, living for us, giving your life for us. May we, in a fresh new way, just look at who you are and how wonderful you have blessed us so that we have a hope for today, a hope for tomorrow that's all based in your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, may you receive the glory through our lives lived for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.